0: all right time for baldry's beat keith baldry legislative bureau chief for global news good morning keith good morning. welcome back let me turn your mic on here for you there we
1: go that would have got your so mic on you've been away for a couple days so you've lost your i've lost my touch down here in this i definitely
0: studio yeah i definitely have not not on game here hundred <laughs> percent okay um let's talk about the metro mayors here mm-hmm. looking for a is this a bailout from Ottawa they're looking for? They want well, $250 million in emergency funding to from, keep the transit system That's running. from
1: Ottawa, plus a matching $250 million from the province. Uh, and based on my discussion with uh, provincial officials, they're going to get their money. Um, I don't think it's uh, really uh, any question that there's going to be uh, funding, because the feds love it when the province agrees to match it. The province hasn't formally done that, but my understanding the province will match uh, a federal... Contribution. It is uh, funding. translink has got a very ambitious plan over the next yeah. uh, year. It's $20 billion. Right. And they already received more than $800 million from both levels of government for the pandemic emergency funding. But this is on top of everything else. But, my, again, I think they're going to get it because uh, transit's a big issue with voters. And the next federal election is not around the corner, but it's looming ever closer. And governments like to be on the side of transit users.
0: Let's listen to Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West here, who is the chair of the TransLink Mayor's Council here. Have a listen. Our region is growing faster than ever. And as long as we are stuck in survival mode, our transit system will not be able to keep pace with demand and the essential service it provides. Okay, I thought it was interesting he's talking about they're in survival mode. They kind of frame this as an emergency injection of money that they're looking for here. And making a very, very sort of public demand for the money as well, which I thought politically is kind of interesting that they're trying to sort of set the feds up and the province up as these are the guys who are kind of starving us some money here.
1: Well, I think they're... they're because they're, they
0: don't want to raise taxes on people.
1: No, but they've talked about uh, raising taxes. Uh, again, that's tr- the traditional fallback for the mayors and TransLink is to raise taxes or raise fares. Uh, but They want both.
0: somebody else to raise the taxes. Well, they want the,
1: they want a tax uh, relief, basically, in terms of two hundred fifty million dollars from the feds, two hundred fifty million dollars from the province. In the larger scheme of things, that's actually not a lot of money. Well, yeah, when it comes to funding, I mean, if yeah. you look at, they're looking at a twenty billion dollar um, project yeah. budget, operating budget, over a number of years. So you fit a quarter of a, b- a million, a quarter of a billion into that. It's not a huge uh, percentage. The VC government spends eight to nine billion dollars a year on capital projects. Uh, so, which include the Broadway subway line, the Skytrain extension to Surrey, the Patello Bridge uh, replacement, and eventually the Massey Tunnel replacement. So you're going to have four major transportation projects funded, in some cases, by both levels of government, in some cases, by one level of government.
0: So, $250 million, like you said, that I mean, sounds like a lot of money, but in the bigger scheme of things, maybe that keeps you going for this year or next year? It's over two years. Two years, okay. Yeah. So. What happens after that? I mean there's, there's still they're never going to stop asking the feds in the province Oh, they'll passion.
1: never stop asking no question whether the feds in the province comes through every two years is another question but I think there's the odds are better that they will than not.
0: Meanwhile, you got all those poor businesses on Broadway that have been shuttered up or in some cases have gone out of business because they they're tearing up the street here to put that subway in, especially at the stations.
1: Well, it's at the stations where yeah, they've got the little,
0: the little box
1: they've got to dig in the ground. That's that, where that, they're doing the cut and where, cover. That's
0: Yeah, the rest of it is not cut
1: and cover, but around the stations, you're right. That's where the big the big uh, imprint is, and that's where the
0: businesses are being affected. The they're most. getting hammered, some of those businesses. I feel for them, and now they're looking for compensation. Yeah,
1: I checked with some transportation folks in the ministry uh, yesterday. I don't see any prospect of that because uh, they point out, okay, well, where do you draw the line here? You start throwing out money for construction... Um inconvenience or closure, uh, that has implications for pretty well every transportation project in the province.
0: We talked to one of the business owners on the street on the uh, the street last week on the show, and they're really suffering and I really feel for them because you know maybe when this project is done, business will pick up, especially if you've got a let's say you've got a, a restaurant or something near one of those stations or
1: well it'd be you know. interesting to go back to the Camby line, the, the Canada yeah. line with huge disruption. Uh, along can because of the cut and cover, but it'd be interesting to you know revisit some of those businesses who were suffering, and they never got any compensation. No, nope. nope, they, they tried A for them years. Couple of went to court, yeah, unsuccessful. Um, so I'd say little prospect of compensation coming their way this time.
0: Right, I mean, yeah, the precedent's already been set. You know, mm-hmm. those can be those can businesses were just in the same boat,
1: and it'd be interesting what what. What is your state now? Where How many were able to survive? I mean, I haven't been down Camby
0: for a long time. I've been on the Canada
1: line, but I haven't actually driven down Camby so I'm not sure exactly what the state of business is
0: like. Okay, well, we should do a checkup on that. Okay, let's talk about at the B.C. Legislature here, once again, and you highlighted this last night in the Global News, the chronic repeat offenders and violent crime mm-hmm. in Metro Vancouver. So let's listen to Eleanor Sturco here. He's a former Surrey police officer, now a very effective liberal MLA, here going after the government. Have a listen.
2: Last week, another senior was the victim of a vicious random attack in Chinatown. The offender, Alan Kipson, has a history of assault and failing to appear in court. But despite being found guilty of assault just two months prior, Kipson was allowed back into the community, where he went on to viciously attack a 74-year-old woman waiting for a bus
0: a type of stories are just kind of like on a repeat loop. Yep, repeat loop is right. I mean, the liberals are
1: dining out on this. There's lots yeah. of examples that they're getting their hands on, um, and they've used this issue effectively in the fall se- session, already in the spring session. The issues of mental health, uh, public safety, health care, affordability, they sort of all mesh together in some levels, are dominating the the proceedings in um, in uh, question opinions. Eleanor Sturco, reason I highlighted last night, I just thought I'd focus on two emerging Stars of the B.C. political scene. One is Eleanor Stirko on the Liberal side, new MLA from Surrey South, and on the other side is Nikki Sharma, the new Attorney General.
0: Right, let's have a listen to her here. So here's Nikki Sharma, the Attorney General here, responding. This government is taking action to keep our community safe. We issued a new bail directive for repeat violent offending to, to all Crown prosecutors. We're standing up 20 new dedicated Crown prosecutors as, as part of our Repeat Offenders Action Team that will focus specifically on repeat violent offenders. When I spoke to Kevin Falcon, the Liberal leader, earlier on the show, who said that this directive they said to the Crown is not enough. It should have gone a lot further.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see. If if, the, if there's still more anecdotes coming out, as like the one Serco raised yeah. uh, yesterday, then it shows that that's not working. But um, it's early days on that new approach, so we'll see if it has any impact. Sharma, of course, was back in Ottawa meeting with some federal justice officials, says she made good progress there. But, you know, there's a, the Supreme Court of Canada has made a number of rulings that have an impact on judges, and we'll see if uh, some of these, this new team is effective in keeping violent offenders behind bars for a lengthy period of time rather than just getting out in the afternoon.
0: B.C. not alone here. Other provinces, though, also asking for tougher bail restrictions. This is a lot of pressure on Ottawa to do something. Yeah, there's
1: federal legislation that's uh, controversial that sort of softened the bail conditions, and and then you've got uh, Supreme Court rulings, which are basically directives to judges as well. So it's a combination of factors, and the provinces have banded together looking for Ottawa to change some of the direction here, particularly when it comes to repeat violent offenders.
0: Okay, little heads up. If you happen to hear any fighter jets flying over overhead, this uh, statement put out from NORAD. So NORAD announced that today there will be a planned live fly air defense exercises over the coast of BC in Washington State. A variety of air, American and Canadian fighter aircraft will operate at high altitude. This exercise is in no way related to recent NORAD <laughs> operations associated with airborne objects over North America. Hmm. <laughs> really?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. We're here in Victoria, so we get the growlers. We get the F-18s from the U.S. rumbling through the skies here. Uh, I think they're on Woodby Island. So that's yeah. nothing new to residents of the capital to hear. They're like, loud. Lo- Aircraft. But uh, it's interesting. It's extraordinary these... these um, balloons or whatever they are falling from the sky one of the one that fell in lake huron is literally just yards away from my in-laws cottage oh, really? on my former in-laws cottage oh. um at cape herd which is on the tip of the bruce did Manitza. they get a look at it i understand yeah that that's quite the talk of the town in tobermory so cape herd is just outside of uh, tobermory you throw a rock to the left you're in lake huron you throw a rock to the right you're in georgian bay and that's exactly where this thing landed
0: and did they get a they get a look at it, so what did saying, it look yeah like? i'm not sure because now there's a lot of still unanswered questions about Oh, yeah.
1: No. It's, I mean, I it had guests on NW, experts in the field, to say one theory is these things are actually in the air all the time. They're just yeah. being discovered now for a point of, uh, for whatever point, um, that NORAD is showing, is doing a different surveillance than it did in the past.
0: Taking a look at an opinion poll here over the break, uh, just out from research company here. Most British Columbians think there will be a, an early election in 2023. Now, this is something that David Eby, the new premier, has repeatedly ruled out. But it sounds like most most people don't believe him. They think it will go early. Yeah,
1: so as Mario the pollster, having a bit of fun here with uh, election speculation. I mean, people look at this the spending that's going on and think, oh, that's that's a precursor to an election. I don't... By it myself. Every, I'm not yet to talk to a single person of any position in government who thinks there's going to be uh, an election. Certainly not this spring. Now, once we get to the fall or next spring, perhaps. But keep in mind, uh, traditionally you like to bring in a budget that is kind of friendly as you go into election. That's not what the February 28th budget is going to be. It's not. A, it's not a, going to be a really happy budget. Right now, the spending that's occurring is because of that huge surplus. Yeah that it materialized unexpectedly because Ottawa restated some income tax returns. So there's literally almost $6 billion to spend. That money disappears on March 31st. There's no surplus projected next year. It's another big deficit. So there's no goodies to put in front of the electorate come the spring.
0: Is there any apparent advantage to pulling the trigger on an early election call for well, Eby and the NDP?
1: The last two opinion polls from Research Co. and Legere uh, were very favorable to the NDP. I've got to call them out this week about, you know, despite all these controversies on health care, <coughs> on public safety, whatever, uh, it doesn't seem to be a drag on the NDP's popularity. And it certainly hasn't been a boost in the BC Liberal. So the gap between the Liberals and the NDP is still like 8 points, 10 points. And then you look at EB's numbers... Are significantly higher uh, the approval rate. He was at 49% at Leger, and Kevin Falcon only had 31%. Huh. But there's been lots of instances where premiers would think, oh, everything looks so well. You know, the polls like it. They call an election it ends in disaster because the electorate doesn't want an election. So it's interesting, Research Co asked, do you think there's going to be an election? I haven't seen it. They asked, do you, do you want an election? I remember David, David Peterson in Ontario. Oh, I, co- the, I covered that election. Yeah, in the polls at the beginning... No. um not at the end yeah. and
0: again voters who think just... bob ray became the premier yeah. of ontario a shocking upset i think EB
1: would just look up to be opportunistic uh if he were to do this horgan i think got away with it in 2020 because he did not have a technically majority government he was being supported by a third party so uh, there was some legitimacy to say, well, I want I a mandate from the
0: voters. It's interesting to see the NDP up in the polls, too, even after Horgan's gone. And, you know, a lot of people thought, well, Horgan was the reason they were yeah. doing well. And
1: people thought, uh, you know, well, Evie's no
0: Horgan. He's not going to have yeah. the same
1: numbers. He's got the highest approval rating amongst all the premiers right now,
0: oh. 49%. Go to the phone lines. Chris and Langley. Hi, Chris. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I guess one. on a side note, I don't know what the angle is. You guys always talk about this snap election, this possibility of a snap election, but yet you also say that it's not going to happen, but yet we constantly talk about it uh, for the last couple of months about how it could happen, but it's not going to happen. I just don't know why we keep talking about it. But on a separate, uh, what, what I called about it is the budget, uh, the money, sorry, the, the premiers and everybody, just in general, money. We need $5 billion here, $10 billion here, $20 billion there. We talk about how much money we need. We talk about the problems that we need to fix. We don't talk about where that money, when we get that money, goes, because we always end up coming back to we need more taxes, we need more money, we need more fees. So, like, I'd like to see more um accountability as far as okay we're they're putting 20 billion dollars and look what this 20 billion dollars is going to get us this new hospital it's going to get us this many doctors let's Mm. see the solutions because we're going to get that 20 billion dollars and then we're going to come back in another few months and say hey you know the the system's broken we need more money no accountability Mm. where'd that 20 billion dollars go we have no idea poof vanished
0: thank you well
1: yes and no but the color is a good point um and we've talked to uh, David Eby and his colleagues before. Where are the? How do you measure success yeah. in some of these these yeah. uh, announcements of, of targets and funding? Right. How do you measure the success when it comes to street crime, fighting yeah. street crime? How do you measure the success when it comes to uh, fixing various problems in the healthcare system? You know, how do you measure success when it comes to you know, solving housing and affordability? What are the benchmarks? And so far, that's proved to be elusive.
0: Well, yeah, it's like when he announced some of those big measures to build a lot more rental housing. Stock in BC and and, he, and EB was asked, well, how many rental units do you expect will be built as a result of this? Yeah, there's kind of there's no answer, no
1: specific answer. Now yeah. it's going to be interesting. There's this billion dollar fund for municipalities to tap into, which is unprecedented uh, for uh, infrastructure, and we'll see how that's probably more measurable. We're going to find out how many roads, sewers, water lines, and recreational well, facilities are going
0: to be built as a result of that billion. Mike in Vernon, hi, Mike, go ahead. Morning, guys.
3: Beautiful, sunny day up here. Get finished with you. Go skiing. Um, Mm, Nice.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, Wonderful place to be. Um, So regarding the transit situation, um, you know, the asking for more money is never going to end. And I think what needs to be done is they need to figure out a way of having a constant stream um, of funding coming, both from the federal and provincial government. Um, Another thing that I would like to see is um they're going to have to start thinking about um putting road tax and uh and um transit tax onto EVs because as we transition away from um from gas and oil to uh to electric we're going to have to pick up the slack that that 15 or 18 cents um is going to leave the gas and tax. If we don't do if we don't do that, we're gonna we're gonna keep falling down this, this trap of asking for money. And you know, the other thing too is when you consider what it costs for a person to drive a car back and forth to work versus what it costs to use transit, maybe we have to and I know this is not possible, but maybe we have to start thinking about the fact that fares have to reflect a little bit more fairly what the service they're getting is and in, in the cost Thank of you, Mike. transportation.
0: Thanks for the call, twenty seconds.
1: Well, Transit is used by more lower income people than, than people who drive, so it's, you got to be careful when it comes to increasing fares that much. But, Chris Ray, an interesting point about a tax on EVs. I yeah. think that's yeah. coming. As EVs displace other cars, there's going to be a shift to taxing electricity for the, their use. Thank you, Keith. Dr. Mark.